You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We've been on a sermon series on prayer, especially in light of this year with the election decision 2016. And that was kind of the heart of some of the prayer efforts that we've been doing in the last couple months is just praying for wisdom, praying for God to give us guidance and helping us uh, through the decision of 2016 election process. But anytime I can have an excuse to talk about prayer, I'll take it. Because prayer, prayer to me is not this religious exercise that you've got to come and do and get on your knees, fold your hands, shut your eyes, and enter into some kind of formal religious endeavor. Prayer is ongoing conversation with the Lord. It's, it's something that is, is as natural to us as believers as breathing. We, we need to be so at one with the Lord and continually talking and listening and talking and listening and listening and listening. I hope you get the emphasis. Uh, we need to listen more. A lot of times when, when we think of prayer, we think of all the things that we need to tell the Lord as if he doesn't know that. And Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, help me with this. I've got a problem, Lord. Help! And, and so we, we, we go off into all sorts of frenzied, you know, repetition, just trying to get his attention. When we had his attention all along, we just weren't aware of it. And if we get to that, that kind of syncopated walk with the Lord to where his heart and our heart are, are in rhythm, that we'll realize that there's nothing that he's not aware of and that there's nothing that we can't talk to him about. You know, and so we just continue to go and, and to experience the incredible, incredible oneness of relationship with him. And for me, that's what prayer is all about. It's all about relationship. You don't talk to people that you're not building a relationship with. If someone is estranged to you and you have given the Italian death wish to and say, you are dead to me, you're not talking to them. You block their email, you block their cell phone number, you block everything that you know to block because you don't want to talk to them, you don't want to hear from them, you have nothing to say to them and they have nothing that you want to hear. They might have some things they want to say to you, but you don't want to hear it. Unfortunately, sometimes that's the way we act with God until the desperate situation is so real that we say uncle and then we say, okay, God, I know I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I need help. Let's not be there. Let's be to where our relationship with him and our conversation with him is nonstop. It's just continuing and out of that we have this relationship that goes from glory to glory. It just keeps getting better. Uh, you find that in your marriage, don't you? Your relationship? If you're not talking to your spouse, how's that working for you? Not very good. Mm -hmm. If you're only coming to your spouse when you have something that you want or something that you need, how does that work for you? Hmm. But let's come. Let's be continuous in our relationship. Let's be there as an expression of our love. And as we receive the Lord's love, we can't help but reciprocate our love back to him. Mm -hmm. So let's spend more time with him.
That was one of the goals that I set at the beginning of the series. I, I was hoping that we'd get to the place where we were praying at least one hour a day. And you know, you can't do that. You can't set a goal like that. You can just say, I just pray that my heart gets more and more passionate about being with him. Then you don't have to worry about how much time you spend. But for some of us, I know there was a phase in my life and my walk with the Lord where I made it a goal to pray 60 minutes a day. It was a goal in one setting. Not 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, 15, 15. No, one setting, because I was, I was part of a, a real fundamentalist kind of group, and could you not tarry how long? One hour. And I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tarry one hour. And I'd, I'd look at what time I started, and I'd go, and as I would pray, it was amazing. The Lord was so faithful, even in my legalistic piety, he showed up. And, and those days that as soon as I hit, hit my knees and I was before the Lord and I was crying out to him and he just showed up, it was just like the hour just went like that. And I thought, wow, I, I can't believe how fast it went. Some days I went for two and a half hours without even realizing that that much time had gone by because his presence there is no sense of time when you're in his presence. You, you got to come out of his presence and back to earth, <laughs> if I can use that language. And, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, oh, what time? Oh, my. And, and then we, we get back into our earthly existence and get caught up. But then there were other times, oh, my. No sense of presence used every anointed verse of scripture I knew, prayed every expression and phrase I knew to just bring an emotional awareness of his presence, and it was flat as could be. Nothing. Nothing. But I would just persevere, and I couldn't wait till I got to the 59-minute mark. because something always happened within 60. I don't have a theology for it. I can't, other than could you not tarry one hour, I, I, I don't have a verse of scripture. But all I know is that the Holy Spirit must have just been up there looking at me and saying, that poor son. We've got to release something from, from up here. Or, or he's, he, I don't know what, what, what he's going to think. But oftentimes at the 60-minute mark, there would be a breakthrough. There would be a breakthrough in prayer. Now, you can try it. You can try it. The goal here is not getting us into a religious exercise. It's getting us into a continuous relationship with the Lord where we can, we can build it little by little. So wherever you are in your prayer life, if you haven't prayed since a long time ago, let's get started. Let's look at some of the things. Dick Eastman says, prayer is the hour that changes the world. And uh, next slide. Oh, well, we're looking at Thanksgiving today. A specific act of expressing gratitude to God for the blessings he has given to us. Now the next slide. This is the one I was wanting. Today we're on the eighth step. 
So when you're thinking, if you're just getting started in prayer and you haven't really, you know, you don't have your PhD in prayer yet, you don't have all your badges, uh, we look at praise, where praise is where we're, where we're extolling the name of the Lord for who he is. It's about his being. It's about who he is. And when we get to Thanksgiving number eight, we are, we are thanking God for what he has done. Praise who he is, thanksgiving for what he's done, the specific things that he's done. And you see everything in between, waiting, confession, praying scripture, a watching, intercession. Last week was petition, and so this week's thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Aren't you glad? Lord have mercy. Say, come on, surely there's something better to talk about. I don't know. I don't know if there really is. Jesus is so amazing, and spending time with him will change and transform your life. No doubt about it. The things that keep us from spending time with him is usually a sense of condemnation, guilt, fear, uh, unworthiness, all of those things. And, but when we get a real revelation of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross with his death and what his resurrection has released to us, and then his ascension in releasing the Holy Spirit to earth, what the Holy Spirit's purpose for us is, is to glorify Jesus to us and in us and through us. And all of a sudden, we've got a reason to spend time with God. We have a real reason to spend time with God. Now, it's really interesting with our different temperaments of how we approach prayer. Uh, you know, the passive temperament just kind of takes life and just goes along and just you know, just uh, hi, Lord, and just goes along. And, and, and as long as there are no bumps or ruffles, it's just like there's a, there's a, a stability there. There's a, a fluidity of just love and, and calmness with the Lord and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, sometimes when we get academic, when, we, when we've learned that we have mental abilities and we think of things that other people don't think of. And, and we found that usually we develop this because we find out that if we're not in control, bad things might start happening to us. Uh, when other people are in control and we defer to them, sometimes they turn left when they should have turned right. And it's like, what, what am I going to do about that? Well, what I do is I get on top and I take control and I take charge and and you know, that is such a difficult temperament to really get into a, a, a meaningful conversation with the Lord. Because a lot of times what we do in that is we're telling the Lord what he needs to be doing. Everybody love to be told what to do? There's just something about that that just doesn't set right with us. And, and the one who's used to to taking charge and telling everything, you know, telling the Lord what he needs to do. And then when the Lord doesn't do it the way they expect or, or told him he should have done it, well, there's an offense. Hmm. And the variables on all our different temperaments and all our different personalities and all of that. But you know what? The Lord absolutely loves every one of us. I came across this. The, the author of the Passion Translation wrote a little commentary on the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, and uh, it's, it's a love poetical 
uh, wisdom literature that, that's in the scripture. And uh, when I saw this, I thought, I got to read this to the body. This is just too good. It, he says, God does not define your life by the 10% of you that you hold back from him, but by the 90% of your heart that longs for him continually. Aren't you glad he defines you in this way? Amen for that. Your weakness is covered by the torrent of his love. He doesn't say, why, you hypocrite. You only think you love me. What is this hesitancy I see in your eyes? You are so stubborn and incomplete in your devotion to me. You, your fear and sin makes you ugly. You will never hear words like that from your beloved. Even in your failures, he holds you fast. He calls you his dearest long before you see his beauty forming in your life. He calls you his darling long before you feel that you're close to him. You are safe with a king like this. Jesus' love is what imparts the strength to arise and come away with him. His fiery love has power to break off every desire for the world and its artificial pleasures. His love will consume every other ambition and passion. How can we cling to our dust when he bids us arise? That blesses me. You know, he's talking about the Shulamite and, and when, the, when, the, when her lover calls for her, he sees just a hint of hesitancy in her eyes. She doesn't know she should come. She, 90% of her loves the Lord, wants to come to her beloved, but there's just a little hesitation. And I thought Brian did such an incredible, incredible uh, exegeting of, of the scripture and, and just a commentary on this passage when he says, no, that's not how the Lord is. He doesn't focus on the 10% that we're, that we're struggling with. He focuses on the 90% that we love. If you've been raised in a holiness tradition, we all, we, we've always known that if we're not 100% white, hot, holy on fire and right with God, if we're cooking at 90, or if we, we were 100% and went to Las Vegas, and Jesus came, wish you could have made it. You know, there, there, there was almost something that, that got inside me that said, oh, never, never get caught at 99%. You got to be 100% all the time. And so my goal is on being 100% and I lose why I'm being 100%. I lose the object of the love that causes everything to move toward 100%. And so when you're trying to be 100%, because that's the goal is to be 100%, you missed it. The goal is to be with him. And whatever their percentages are, he's not worried about. He is just delighted that there's that in your heart that is pursuing him at whatever level you are. But as you, as you pursue him at that and you get into his presence, it, it, it has a way of just drawing you more and more to him. 
I don't know how many came this morning and you're just thinking, man, I sure hope the worship team hits it on that first song and, and I'm going to just lose all my inhibitions and I'm just going to really be bold in my worship this morning and I'm just going to cut loose uh-huh. and maybe stand. Yeah. And if that's where you are, you know, the Lord just loves that. He just loves that you, you are able to cut loose and take that next step of standing. <laughs> but you can take multiple expressions of worship and keep going to the next expression. And if we want to, we can be offended by someone else's expression. How, do you, how does that work for you? Do you feel like you really get closer to God when you get offended at somebody else's expression? You know, does it just make you feel like you just came right into the throne room and you're standing in the glory of glories? I have a hunch who was roaring this morning when the Lion of Judah was, was being sung. <laughs> and I got so tickled inside me and I just thought, oh, Papa, was it Marcus? <laughs> I thought it was Marcus. I thought, God Lord... Here he is, he's got so much Jesus inside of him that when he hears that the Lion of Jew is roaring, he's got to echo the roar from within. And he's just, and I'm up here worshiping. And at first I thought, did we just go into the heavenlies? You know, is this this the lion roaring? Or, oh no, I think that's Marcus. Okay. And I leaned over to Deb and I said, is that Marcus? She says, yeah, that's Marcus. And I said, okay. And then I just thought, what pleasure it brings the Father. I find that a lot of things that offend me don't offend him at all. You know, when I want to see things just done decently in order and glorify and... He's really not that... He's not that finicky. My whole image of God is he's not a cat. He's not. There's no finickiness with God. He's always pursuing us. <laughs> now, I, 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 I know to even give an animal as some kind of personification of God is, for some of you, you won't forgive me till we get into the second millennium in heaven. We're all right. But by no means am I, am I trying to say God is like this. But if you've ever had... If you've ever had anyone who was always excited to see you when you came in the door, when you came into their presence, that is just kind of maybe 1% of how the Lord feels when you come into his presence. When you choose to worship him, when you choose to come in and to take the next step, and I know I've got the Midwestern white inhibitions of holiness and all that kind of stuff. But at times, if I, if I could really get beyond that, I'd be running around this place because it's, his presence is just so electrifying. It, it, it's so amazing. I've been dealing, dealing, this is national funeral season 
and I've got funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral, and I've, I've, I've done so many funerals and, and all this kind of stuff, and I realize I'm trying to help people deal with the reality, and for some, they're just so devastated and grieving because they've lost the one that they love that they can't hardly see straight, but then another person in the same family is so excited and so thrilled because they know that their loved one is no longer limited by suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, that, that they are complete and that they're with the Lord and that they're, they're enjoying forever and ever. And they're more them than they've ever been them. I had one this last week and, and, and the young man, another one named John, uh, another young man, 37, named John, and, and he was bipolar, he had mental illness, he was uh, full of, when, when he was with the Lord, the guy was an evangelist, he was an amazing evangelist. He, he, he's written two Christian books. He's gone through the Bible and he's, and he's made poetry out of the Bible, like nursery rhymes for children. And he, and he goes through the stories, just amazing stuff. And as, as he goes through that kind of stuff and all that, and yet he did some really stupid, foolish, sinful things that you just want to smack him with Jesus's love. And it's just like, and for us, from our humanness, there's a lot of things that are totally incongruent. You know, and sin does that to us. It makes us incongruent on the inside. It makes what we want to do difficult to do. Huh. But you know, when, when, when you die, you're the real you. I can't wait to see John in heaven because this guy is wired 220. He is funny as can be. He's full of life. I've counseled him for several, many times and he's just amazing. No doubt about just that. amazing. And now he's really who he is. And, and to me, that's just unbelievable. So we give thanks. Yeah, where am I? Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, wow. Dying old bite. Okay. We're going to skip that, that, and that. Let's go over here to Jesus. Uh, slide seven. <laughs> Jesus and Thanksgiving. We start looking at Jesus and how he uses Thanksgiving in his prayer. And there's, there's three little verses that we're looking at. Two of them have to surround the time of Lazarus. And, and so in John eleven forty one 41, it says, So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Man, there's something there, isn't there? I, I used to just think it was the feminine heart that wanted to be heard. But I, I, I've counseled recently a lot of husbands who never get heard by their wife. Huh. It's really good when you've been heard. 
And so Jesus is outside the tomb (laughs) and he's getting ready to resurrect Lazarus and he stops and he prays and he gives thanks to God that he's heard him. Mm. In Mark 8, verse 6, it says, So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. For many of us, this is where we say our, our, our prayer before we eat. It, it kind of comes from the biblical. When Jesus is feeding the multitude, he, he took what was given, he multiplied it, but it was multiplied as he was giving thanks for it. And I think there's a lot of things that the Lord would love to multiply in our lives. And we need to learn how to give him thanks for everything that he's given to us. We don't say thank you so we can get, you know, 5,000 fed. We say thank you because we're thankful for what he's given to us. If it's just five loaves and two fish, we thank him for the five loaves and two fish. And in the midst of that, we don't know what he's going to do, but we still thank him. And then in the New Living Translation, Matthew eleven twenty-five, and Jesus prayed this prayer. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike. Yeah, Yeah, the Lord, the Lord was thankful to his father that we have to come into the kingdom like a little child. So Thanksgiving, there's a whole lot of other verses I had, but we'll just go on here. Giving thanks for one, your spiritual blessings. Yes. Give, give thanks to the Lord for the, the spiritual blessings that you have. Now, don't be like the Pharisee who comes into the temple and he says, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like this sorry sinner over here, tax collector, but that I fast and pray and uh, I tithe. And... No, 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 no. That, that's not thanking him <laughs> for spiritual blessings. That's, that's a heart that's gone rogue. It's not good. But we thank him for the peace that he's given to us. We thank him for the comfort. We thank him for the life and the spirit that he's released to us. We thank him for the way that he connects. Spirit touches spirit. We thank him for the revelation of his heart, that he's included us in his heart. We thank him that he's chose and invited us to come into him and he into us. And so we got the oneness. We thank him for oneness, spiritual blessings. We, act, we, we thank him for material blessings. Thank him for the things that you have. I thank the Lord that I got the kind of hair that I can wear it a lot of different ways. <laughs> I part it on one side one week and the next side the next week. Yeah. Thank the Lord for the material things that you have or don't have. Um, it's okay to thank him for a car. Uh-huh. I'm constantly, because this congregation seems to be a congregation that's always in need of a car. I've always got sheep in, this, in, in our fellowship that needs a car. So I always keep my eyes open. And when I see, you know, one of those long running reput- reputable cars like Honda, Toyota, or the Japanese, <clears throat> that, that has a history of running forever, or a Buick, it's hard to kill a Buick, you know that? 
it just seems, seems hard to kill those things. But, uh, you know, as, as you see those, I'm constantly looking. But thank God for transportation, whatever you've got. Thank him for the physical blessings. Thank him for your body, your health that you got. Thank you, you know, thank him for, for what you do have. And, and when we have parts that aren't working the way they're supposed to, ask him to, to adjust them. Come, Lord, work with these. And then external blessings, and those are you guys. I thank the Lord for this church. I thank the Lord for the people that I get to serve. Thank the Lord for friends and family. We thank the Lord for our country. I thank the Lord for the people that I know in Costa Rica that are serving the King and love the King so much and their passion and their sacrificial living. And you know people who are in service for the Lord. And so we thank the Lord for all of those. Well, we'll close with a, a little bit from Paul on how often should we give thanks. Just occasionally, when you feel like it, when things are going well. No. In 5.18, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always. Okay? 1 Corinthians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for your neighbor. No, no, for you. It's the will of God for you to give thanks always in everything. Now, when I was a sophomore in college in my first year of Greek, I was just wanting to split some fine hairs theologically. And I wasn't going to thank God for when things went bad. Because I, I don't thank God for bad stuff. I thank God for good stuff. Now that I'm 62, I realize I can thank God for the bad stuff. Because he knows how to work in and through the bad stuff. Matter of fact, he does some things in me quicker, more thoroughly, and more complete when it's on the heels of bad stuff that have happened. Mm. So in everything, give thanks. Okay? Uh, the way the New Living Translation put that, no matter what happens, always be thankful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay. And here's our final four steps. Thanksgiving, the eighth step in world-changing prayer. Begin Thanksgiving by thinking about all that God has given you in recent days. Because we thank him for the specific things that God's done. Okay? Number two, use these moments of reflection as a basis for offering specific thanksgiving for spiritual, material, physical, and external blessings. Okay? So we're, we're, we're getting some momentum. We start thinking, we kind of categorize them, and then we start giving expression to those. Frequently, thank God in advance, okay? First two have to do with things in the past. This, now we're looking at the future. For blessings you expect him to bestow on you in the future. I find a lot of times when I thank God for what he's about to do, he does it. It's not a manipulative tactic. 
It's really a heart that just knows that the Lord wants to do this, and I'm giving him thanks to do it. And when you give him thanks for what you believe God wants to do, guess what? That's an act of faith. And that has coupled with your faith, and out of that faith, it draws, it draws the pleasure of God. Because you can't please God without faith. And so as that expression of faith comes through, we find that oftentimes God does exactly or above and beyond what we've already thanked him for in the future. And the last one, thank God for at least one particular blessing that you have not thanked him for previously. Now that's a little shifty one there. Uh-huh. Wow. You think, have I, have I ever thanked you for that? I can't remember. I'll thank you again. Mm-hmm. Thank the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be thanked. The, all the wonderful things that he's done, he's doing, and he will do. And continue your conversation, your intimacy with him, and let his kingdom come. Let's pray. Right on. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, oh God, that you have released your love to us. We thank you for today, a day that we got to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the way in which you're moving upon our people. We thank you for the way that you're bringing comfort to those that are grieving. We thank you, Lord, for the way you've made provision to get the roof painted when there wasn't provision. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to purchase groceries to share with the community. We thank you for the food outreach and all the families that come. I pray that you would touch them through this simple expression of love. I thank you, Father, for this time that we have together. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.